was a, uh, excuse me, a 30-year-old youth pastor living the dream, living the dream. Uh, there was unity and growth and teens accepting Christ and a strong leadership team, and the church was pleased with what was happening and supportive, and the youth pastor and his wife uh, and their two young daughters were enjoying life, and everything was great and comfortable. One day, the senior pastor pulled the youth pastor aside and told him, um, looks like I'm probably going to be leaving and going to another church. Would you like to come along with me and you can come and be the youth pastor over there? After much prayer, the youth pastor said, no, thank you. We like it here. We're content. We're comfortable. Uh, in due time, another senior pastor was selected, and sadly, things suddenly weren't going so well with the youth pastor. There was friction, there was trouble, there was disagreement and vision, and uh, there just was uh, some ugliness going on, and soon it was clear that the youth pastor and his family would need to move on. They were very sad, they were confused, they were disappointed. Why, Lord, would you allow this to happen to us? They asked. In due time, the Lord moved them on to another church. And now, 23 years later, uh, I'm so grateful that the Lord nudged and pushed and shoved us out of the nest that was very comfortable for Denise and I, and brought us to Walloon. Here's my point. Listen close. Oftentimes, the Lord takes things that are hard and difficult and troubling and painful and uses those things that are awful at the time to accomplish his plan and his purpose. And some of you right now, today, you're in the middle of a really hard time. Pain, struggle, trial. Maybe you would even call it tribulation. And you need to know that oftentimes the Lord takes those very things and uses them to accomplish His plan and His purpose. Want a verse to go along with that? Romans 8, 28. The Lord uses all things for His good. Good doesn't necessarily mean fun and easy and happy and skippy. Matter of fact, I've discovered most of the time good means hard and difficult and trying and painful. But He, he even uses those things to accomplish His plan and His purpose. And that's exactly what we're going to see today in the book of Acts. Anger and hatred and evil and vicious attack, but the Lord used even that to accomplish His plan and His purpose. Uh, locate with me in your Bibles if you have it, Acts chapter 7. Uh, the brand new church in Jerusalem was likely only a few months old, uh, maybe at the most six months old, and things were going great. Uh, they had survived the hypocrisy of Ananias and Sapphira. They had worked through the trouble between 
the uh, Hebrew widows and the Greek-speaking widows. And if you go to Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, it says this, The word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Life was good in Jerusalem. Life was fruitful in the church at Jerusalem. There was unity. There was oneness. They were growing. They were getting discipled, and everything was great. And then if you look at chapter 6 and verse 5, this brand-new deacon named Stephen has an opportunity to speak up and talk to the Jewish leaders. And he speaks boldly and he speaks bluntly, and he basically tells the Jewish leaders, um, you guys are guilty of killing and crucifying the Messiah. I know you think you did a wonderful thing, but here's what you... And he proves it from the Old Testament, and that's basically what chapter 7 is all about. It's his speech to the Jewish leaders. And they don't deal with his words well, okay? They, they don't handle his words well. So we're going to stand together now, and I want you to, to see how they deal with uh, his speech to them. And they are angry, and they are hate-filled, and they are ugly as they respond to Stephen's words. Courageous, bold, blunt words, I would argue. Let's uh, read God's word out loud together. You ready? Here we go. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. Look, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears And yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragging him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, He fell asleep, and Saul approved of their killing him. The church persecuted and scattered on that day. A great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Let's pray. Lord, I'm asking that you'll meet us today in your church as we study your book. Lord, we believe that what we just read is your inspired plan and owner's manual for all of our lives. So help us, Lord, to understand what it is that you're uh, having to say to us as we look at the life of the first Christian church-age martyr. 
Lord, uh, show us uh, how this applies to us in your church at Walloon in 2013. Lord, uh, help this uh, goofy under-shepherd to get out of the way, because, Lord, what we need to do is hear today from the great shepherd, your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, we'd say, uh, speak, Lord. Your church here at Walloon, we're listening. We're, we're ready to respond. And all the church gathered at Walloon said with one voice, you may be seated. Last week, uh, Pastor Bob uh, was in Matthew 10, and uh, the promise was there, when you go out and do mission, it's going to be hard. <laughs> it's going to be painful. It really begins here, okay? This is when everything he said would happen, happens. Stephen, bold and blunt, speaking to the Jewish leaders, basically signed his death warrant with his words. Uh, look at verse 55, chapter 7. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Bold, courageous words. He wasn't shrinking back. He wasn't running. He wasn't backing down. He spoke bold, courageous, spirit-filled words, and the Jewish leaders couldn't handle it. They were so upset that they did to Stephen what they had just done to Jesus a few months earlier. Remember? These same men, these same Jewish leaders were the ones who sentenced Jesus to be crucified. And now these same group of men... Uh, they execute Stephen, okay? If you go back to chapter 6 and verse 15, I just want to show you, 6.15, uh, Stephen is talking to, it says, clearly, the Sanhedrin. That was the 70 dignified aristocrats. They were the scholars. Um, they were the elite. They would have wore fancy robes and ornate hats, are you tracking with me? Got the picture? So, so this, was, this was the elite. Uh, today, they'd be in $1,000 suits, okay? That, that's the kind of guys they were. And this austere and refined group of religious leaders, look at verse 54. This is interesting. They ganache their teeth at Stephen and his speech, okay? They, they are so angry that they ganache. Got it? You want to do that with me? It's kind of fun. Gnash, okay? Maybe you're a little upset today. You want to get it out? Come on, with me. Gnash. Some of you in the balcony did not do that with me, okay? I was watching. Come on, balcony, just you. Gnash. Okay. Uh, they are so angry. They are so furious. Do you understand? Clinching, gritting their teeth. They are that filled with venom and hate towards what's the words that Stephen had spoken. And, and they're so hate-filled towards Stephen, they're ganashing their teeth, okay? So look at the contrast, wild, out-of-control religious leaders contrasted with, look at verse 55, filled with the Holy Spirit, fully in control, peaceful Stephen, okay? And, and he's not looking at the descending mob it says, verse 56, he's not even paying attention to them. He's looking up at who? 
the resurrected, ascended Savior, Jesus Christ. He's not even paying attention. And uh, this is kind of fun, but theologians go crazy over the fact that Jesus is standing here. Okay, did you know that? Uh, All over the New Testament, Jesus is always pictured what? Seated at the right hand of the Father. But I think it's pretty cool that one of, one of his children is in trouble when one of his kids is about to die because he spoke boldly for Jesus. Jesus stands up, and I think what he was doing, he was getting ready to welcome Stephen into glory. Um, but, but anyway, it's, uh, it's interesting that he stands, usually seated, but he stands. And just like Jesus, a few months earlier, Verse 59, Stephen asked the Lord to receive his spirit. And verse 60, just like Jesus, he asked the Lord to forgive his killers. Please understand what these men did here, the religious leaders, was illegal. They did not have the power to execute. We see that in the Gospels. It was immoral. It was brutal. It was evil. It was wicked, but they really didn't care. That was the point. They were so angry, so upset, so out of control, they really didn't care. They just wanted to shut this guy up. And the only way they knew to shut him up was to kill him. Frederick Buhner writes this. This is interesting. Stoning someone to death especially someone young and healthy like Stephen, was not easy. You had to be 40 years old or older to be in the Sanhedrin, so you have a group of older gentlemen, and you don't get the job done with the first few rocks. Some of you, you've been hit with a rock before, right? And you didn't die. Uh, And even after you get the man down, it's a long, hot business until he's dead. So they they had to take off their cloaks. They had to get their arms loosened up. And it was a long, hot business to kill Stephen. And then verse 60 says something almost unexpected. Okay, Look at verse 60, because this is just on the back of your bulletin if you don't have your Bible. But um, it it says uh, that Stephen fell what? An interesting... You got, you got this brutal mob going, and then Stephen falls asleep. And throughout the New Testament, lots of times when it's talking about death, it says, and they fell asleep. Um, when death becomes the property of the believer, it receives a new name, and it's called sleep. Let that soak in. William Arnott. He gets credit for that. When death becomes the property of the believer, it receives a new name, and it's called sleep. So just just picture with me, just for a minute, just shut your eyes for a second. And those of you who are prone to sleep, this is not permission, okay? Uh, Shut your eyes, okay? And And now you shut your eyes, and your heart quits beating, and your brain quits waving, and then you open your eyes, okay, and now you're in the presence of Jesus. That, that's death for the follower of Christ. 
It's called sleep. It's true for Stephen. It's true for all of us who know Jesus personally, Savior and Lord. Okay? You're eventually going to shut your eyes and go to sleep, but then you wake up and there's, there's your Savior and your Lord and your King and hopefully your best friend. Now, Dr. Luke has mentioned in passing a name that probably caught your attention. Uh, verse 59, uh, chapter 7, there's this guy there who's watching over the coats of the Jewish leaders, and his name is what? Saul. And then in chapter 9 of Acts, he's renamed, and what do we know him as? Saul becomes who? Paul. Okay, so it's pretty important detail, and now he's going to give you more detail starting in verse 1 of chapter 8. Here we go. And Saul approved of their killing him, approved of killing Stephen. Um, the idea is he, he's cheering them on. Yeah! And he's just kind of cheering on like we would uh, our favorite team when they're scoring a touchdown. He's, he's cheering them on. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea, Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen, mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, dragged off both men and women, and put them in prison. Um, you just need to know this about Paul. Um, probably other than Jesus Christ, most of our number one hero, biblical character we admire the most, most people say Paul. But you need to know, before he became a follower of Jesus, just, just look at verse 1. Um, and, and look at what he's doing in verse 3. Vicious, zealous, intense, crazed man intent on destroying Christians and the church. Matter of fact, the very same word when it talks about destroying the church, back in Psalms, it's used for a wild boar uh, uprooting and destroying a vineyard. That's what Paul was doing in trying. He was uprooting, crazed, and destroying the early church in Jerusalem. And uh, verse 2, there was mourning, there was sadness, there was grief for uh, Stephen's murder, but Saul was on the hunt. It says, verse 3, house to house, even women and children were not spared. Here's what Galatians 1.13, Paul says, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it, Galatians 1.13. So, let's just pause for a moment. Lord, thanks we're going wonderful for this early church. Why would you allow this to happen? Lord, why? why there was, this is such a godly man. Just became a deacon. Just became one of those who's an integral part of the church. Why would you allow him to be executed so viciously in such an evil and illegal way? And Lord, why did you allow this to happen to your brand new church? They're just a few months old. And things were going great, and there was fruit, and new believers, and discipling, and unity, and oneness. Lord, why did you allow this to happen? Here's the good news. 
Dr. Luke gives us some perspective on the why. If you have your Bible, go to Acts chapter 22. Because later in Acts, here's what Paul says to a crowd when he's back in Jerusalem. He's been out traveling around, and we'll get there eventually um, this spring. But here's what he says, Acts 22, verse 19. These people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, Paul, go, I'm going to send you off to be the missionary to the Gentiles. Um, Here's the point. Stephen's death had an impact on Saul becoming Paul. You, You tracking with me? Stephen's death, the way he died, in a manner that was just like Jesus... Receive my spirit, Lord. Uh, Forgive those who are doing this to me. Stephen's death deeply affected Saul. Watching Stephen die was a part of the reason and the way the Lord used to draw Paul to himself. And we're going to look at that uh, in a couple weeks when the Lord challenges Paul on the road to Damascus. Um, And and Lord, why did you allow your church to be persecuted and scattered? Lord, why did you do this? Go back to chapter 8. Look at verse 4. Those who had been scattered did what? Preach the word wherever they went. Okay? The result of the great persecution of, of the church at Jerusalem... They ran and they scattered and they took the news of Jesus everywhere they went. So instead of stopping the church from spreading, catch this, the Lord used the persecution to scatter the church and take the news of Jesus to Judea and Samaria, Acts 1.8. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and now they move on to Judea and Samaria. Why? Because the Lord even used this persecution to spread the news to where it needed to be spread. The Lord took the evil and the hatred and the persecution of these Jewish leaders and of Saul. Are you ready? And he used it to shove them out of the nest. Yeah, I know things are going great and you're loving it, but I'm going to shove you out right now. And I'm going to use this to take the message of Jesus to people who need to hear about it. And you wouldn't do this if you didn't get the nudge. So I'm going to use their evil and their wickedness and their bloodthirstiness, and I'm going to use it to accomplish my will, my plan, and my purpose. Here's the principle. Are you ready? If you're taking notes, write this down. Uh, The principle to catch here is the Lord oftentimes, I would even say usually, uses trouble and pain and trials and friction in our lives to accomplish his plan and his purpose. So so when you're facing tough times, when you're in the middle of difficulty and trial and tribulation and friction and things aren't going so well, you need to start thinking, Lord, you're up to something. You're wanting to accomplish something. Lord, what is it that you want to accomplish in and through me here? 
Here's a fact. You ready? Rarely do we grow. Rarely do we take that next step in our walk with Christ when things are just going wonderful. Have you noticed that, Tony? Almost never do we grow when we're comfortable and content. It almost never happens. I would say never, but there might be an exception, okay? I've never seen it in my own life. Uh, But almost never does the Lord grow us and stretch us and take us to the next level when we're on the mountaintop and everything's good. It's when things are hard. It's when trouble's at our door. It's when difficulties arrive and knock on the door. That's when we grow. That's when our faith gets strong. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10. Write that down. You can look it up later. Here's two facts to hold on to, okay? God's power is made perfect in what? Anybody know? God's power is made perfect in weakness. And then he says it clearly. When I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. When I'm weak, that's really when the Lord is up to something in my life. So, so here's my question. Is there trouble in your life today? Trials? Difficulty? Pain? Feeling stretched? Feeling weak here today? Here's what I know. Are you ready? The Lord's up to something. The the Lord is up to something and, and, and He's wanting to do something in your life. Those are perfect conditions for Jesus to accomplish His plan and His purpose in your life when you're in the middle of those sort of things. Trial, trouble, difficulties, pain. Two options. If that's you today. Ready? Here's option number one. Lord, why are you doing this? Whine, complain, grumble, get upset, have an awful attitude. That's option number one. Option number two, Lord, uh, here I am, use me. I don't understand what's going on right now. I don't particularly like it, Lord, but I understand that you've got me in this situation for a reason. Lord, use me, accomplish your plan and your purpose through me today. Two options. And we always get to choose. He didn't create you a robot. We get to choose. Things kind of hard right now? Things painful, difficult right now? You're going to be like uh, the children of Israel, grumbling, whining, complaining, throw a little party, call it a pity party for yourself? Or, Lord, I'm going to look at it differently. You're wanting to do something in and through me right now. Here I am. Use me. Bow your heads. Shut your eyes as we close. Lord, I want to pray for my friends right now who are in the middle of trouble and trial and pain and difficulty. The truth is, Lord, we all at times are in the middle of those things. So I want to ask, who am I talking to today? who's uh, feeling weak and overwhelmed, who's in the middle of a situation that feels overwhelming. Right now, things are hard and difficult and painful. 
Anybody say, that's me? Did you raise your hand? That's me. That's, that's where I'm at right now. Anybody else? Anybody in the balcony? Yeah. Anyone else? That's me. Okay. I want to give you a verse from James chapter 4 and verse 10. Humble yourself before the Lord that he may lift you up in due time. Humble yourself before the Lord that he may lift you up in due time. In due time. So here's what I'm going to ask. If you're serious about humbling yourself before the Lord, if you're serious about, uh, Lord, uh, enough of the whining, complaining, grumbling, the rotten attitude, the why me and the pity party, I've tried that a thousand times, doesn't work. Lord, here I am, use me. I humble myself before you. Lord, use me to accomplish your plan and your purpose. If that's your heart, I'd invite you right now to not just say that in your mind, but to, with your body, humble yourself. And if you're capable, I know not everybody can, but if you can and you're serious, take a knee right now where you're at, or, or take two knees if you need to. Lord, here am I, and I'm uh, showing you how serious I'm humbling myself before you and your church right now, right where you're seated, and I know it might be a little difficult, a little challenging. That's okay. And, and if you're serious, humble yourself before the Lord. Here I am, Lord. Use me. Take a knee or take two knees. Yeah. Anybody else? I'm here with you. I'm, uh, I'm joining you right where you're at. Lord, I, I want to pray for my friends right now who are in the middle of struggle and trial and difficulty. And Lord, we believe that you are an awesome God who takes hard times and accomplishes good out of them. So Lord, please uh, do that in each situation represented here. Lord, uh, use us. Um, you, uh, you choose to use us as your vessels to accomplish your plan and your purpose. And Lord, we uh, don't pretend to understand why we're facing this situation. We don't pretend to like it, Lord, but we just want you to know we trust you. You've never failed us once. You've come through every time before. And Lord, I believe you're going to come through this time again in due time. So we trust you. Give them courage. Give them hope. Help them to remain under the trouble. Help them to keep humbling themselves under your awesome hand. And there's a reason why we gather here in church. Did you know that? It's because we need each other. <laughs> we don't do well on our own. Okay? So right now, those of uh, you who uh, maybe you're not on your knees... But right now, I invite you to peek, okay? Because there's people uh, that need you to pray and love and encourage. Maybe they need a hug. Uh, maybe they need to be taken out for coffee this next week. But wherever they are around you, you can peek right now. you got permission. Not very often you get permission to peek, right? So uh, 
You look around, and if there's someone on, on their knees around you, you're going you're gonna to be praying for them. Uh, maybe you just need to get over there and give them a good hug and let them know you'll be praying and encourage. Okay? Lord, we love you. We're glad that you specialize in hard times. So we see that you used Stephen to touch Paul's life. You used the scattering of the church at Jerusalem to scatter the good news of your son Jesus. And Lord, you're still up to those things today. Work powerfully. Work amazingly. And please use us. We don't want to miss this opportunity and be so busy grumbling and whining and complaining that we miss what you're up to. And now as the ushers come forward, Lord, we're grateful that we can uh, give to those who are in need, who are a part of us, who are part of the community. Lord, thank you for uh, the many families that will be fed. Thank you for the lives in your church here at Walloon that will be touched by these monies. We love you. It's awesome to be your children. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things.